Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We continue our sermon series today called All the Feels where we explore the deep emotions that are common to every one of us. We desire to allow the Holy Spirit to shape our emotions so that they don't drive and control our lives but instead help us live in a God-honoring way. Today we speak about the emotion of worry. While it's an emotion common to everyone, we see what Jesus taught us about anxiety and how we can displace worry by choosing to fix our mind on him and his kingdom. Will you quieten yourself and allow God to speak to your heart and mind today? Hi church, I hope that you've been enjoying this new uh, sermon series that we've been doing called All the Feels. Um we've looked at so many emotions over the past 3 weeks and today we look at the emotion of worry and more specifically anxiety. Corrie Ten Boom says this about worry. She says worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you moving but doesn't get you anywhere. It illustrates the pointlessness of worry, but a lot of us um have self-proclaimed and said, you know, I'm a worry wart. I'm a chronic worrier. I have anxiety. I do have panic attacks. A lot that could be the story of many many of us who are actually watching this right now. And I want you to come to a place where you hand that anxiety over to God. That is what today is going to be about. It's going to be about calling it out for what it is. Saying that, you know, yes, I do worry. Yes, I do plan to the greatest extent in my head and then I get anxious. And then coming to a place where we admit that it's no good to actually worry and then going to a place where we hand that worry over to God. That's the progression of what we're going to be doing today. When you look at what anxiety does to us physically and mentally, the ramifications are huge. When I was reading up on different articles uh, by, you know, the John Hopkins University and other uh, big publications, all of them say this that anxiety in itself causes so many health problems. It causes problems in the mind, it causes problems in the body, it causes problems relationally. And when you look at the word of God itself, the word of God tells us so clearly why anxiety does us no good. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 10 says, So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. Proverbs 12 verse 25 says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. We know now from the word of God that anxiety harms the body, anxiety harms the mind. And when you look at the process that happens in our bodies when we are anxious about something, it's a bit scary. So what actually happens is when we get stressed, when we get anxious and start worrying, there's a small part of the brain called the amygdala which gets triggered and starts sounding an alarm. Now the amygdala is the place where which actually alerts us to danger on a rational level. So if I'm crossing the road and a car is coming at me, the amygdala alerts me to move back and stay safe. But in the case of anxiety, in the case of chronic worry, the amygdala is constantly shouting alarm systems. It's kind of putting up all the alarm systems saying danger danger when in reality there's really no danger so what happens is it triggers series of reactions it triggers the adrenaline gland to release adrenaline and cortisol and other stress hormones which should only be released in a time of danger and so now that these are released on a constant level they go up in excess in the body the levels go up 
and as a result, our blood sugar levels change, our fat retention changes. So many things change just because we are so triggered in the amygdala, just because we are so anxious. And that explains a lot of things. If someone has walked through a panic attack, you know what happens. Your heart is racing. You feel like your heart is going to explode out of your chest. You're sweating. All of that is because this one small part is so triggered. And today, while we can't go down to this place of saying, you know what, I'm going to go and, you know, pray over the amygdala, which we could. But I believe we need to get to the root cause of all our worry. We need to come to a place where we effectively say, this is no longer in my hands, Lord. This is in your hands. Medication can only do so much. Therapy can only do so much. But the God who created you and me, who has wired us as uniquely as he has, only he has the final say on our anxiety. Only he can conclusively deal with our worry. And so with that in mind, I want us to look today at Luke chapter 12. This is a topic that Jesus spoke prolifically on. He spoke on the topic of worry quite a bit. Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to be looking at from verses 22 onwards. Jesus taught his disciples saying, listen to me, never let anxiety enter your hearts. Never worry about any of your needs, such as food or clothing. We're going to stop right there. Jesus says, this is in the Passion Translation, never, never let anxiety enter your hearts. He's saying never, like never worry. Is that even possible? We live in a world which is so uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen to us any given at any given point of time. How does he say so clearly, never? I don't know. But let's look at the next few verses to understand this in its context. Luke chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus continues, For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we look at Luke chapter 12, Jesus is addressing a very common issue. I won't say small issue. It's a common issue. It's common to humanity. Just because you worry, I want you, want you to know this right off the bat. Just because you worry, it doesn't make you less of a Christian. It makes you human. And that's okay. But we're going to bring this down to what Jesus expects of us. He says, don't worry. And there are a few reasons why he's saying we don't need to be worried. We don't need to be anxious. So when he says never worry, never be anxious, we're going to see why he actually said that. Was he rational when he said that? 
I believe he was. Verse 23 talks about how life is more than food, body more than clothes. The first thing that I believe Jesus was trying to tell us is that life is so much more than what we see. And what we see and sometimes what we imagine from what we see is what we worry about. And he's saying, don't limit your view to what you are just looking at, to your immediate vision. He's saying your life is so much more. There is so much happening in the unseen you have no clue about. So why worry? Does it mean that we deny the realities we live in? No, not at all. It just means that we can trust God with every detail of our lives. Isn't that amazing? From the huge things like our health, our career, our income, our salary, our our marriages, to the most minute things of maybe something that broke and that you really want fixed. Or maybe it's something that you really desire, a small little trinket of some sort. He knows exactly what you need. And so he says, when there's so much more to life, you can trust me with the details. You don't have to fret. That's what the first thing he say. It's more than what you see. The second thing he talks about, he compares our lives to that of the birds. He says they don't sow, they don't reap. They have no storeroom, they have no barn, yet God feeds them. And then he compares our value to theirs. He says you are so much more valuable than these birds. The beautiful thing is in Hebrews, the writer tells us how God made us a little lower than angels. And he crowned us with glory and honor and has placed everything under our feet. That's the level of value we have. And if he cares for that little caterpillar on the leaf of that plant, if he cares about the little ants running on your wall, if he cares about the birds flying in the air and making a huge racket, he cares about you and me because we are of infinitely more worth. Previous verses, it talks about how not a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing about it. He says, aren't you of more value? Going to verses 25 to 26, he talks about how pointless it is to worry because we really cannot add a single hour to our life by worrying. What he's demonstrating is that you've never really been in control. You and I have never really been in control. We we think we're controlling all the elements. We're controlling every aspect of our relationships, our friendships, our job our social life, but in reality, the one who holds it all together is God himself. And so there's really no point in micromanaging every single little thing that happens to us. He says, you cannot do this very little thing, which is adding one hour to your life. Why do you worry about the rest? We're really not in control. There are things we can control. There are things we can actually be in control of, which is probably our reactions, our emotions, the way we respond to people. But by and large, everything else in our life is being held together by a very sovereign and mighty God. So if this God who's so mighty doesn't need our help to make the sun rise and sunset every single day, who doesn't put the moon in the sky in its different phases through the month, every single day without exception, I think we can trust him with the details of our lives. Don't you think so? Because we really are not in control. It's a good thing to come to this, you know, realization early in our lives. We're really not in control. He handles everything. Verses 27 to 28, it talks about the wildflowers. And if you look at the wildflowers in any field, nobody's tending to them. No one's adding fertilizer. No one is coming and watering it. Nothing. They just grow. And he says, they do not labor or spin. 
And I don't know who this is for, but maybe we have been toiling and laboring and spinning around in circles to hold everything together. We want to have a semblance of a relationship. We want to have semblance of family life. We want to have a semblance of a social life to build our networks. We want to have a semblance of, of religiosity. So we attend church and put up a good face there. Maybe we're striving in every direction because we want it all. We want to have, make everyone happy. But here he's saying, Jesus says, all our labor and striving has limits. So how much ever we, we do, we tend to worry if we're doing enough. We tend to worry if this would be adequate. But he's saying all of this has limits. All our targets, our goals, they have a limit. Maybe you've been working out because you really want to get in shape. Maybe you've been dieting because you feel, you know, my levels are unhealthy. I need to, you know, fix those things. Maybe you've been setting up your home to look like the perfect haven. But can I tell you that you will find at the end of all that striving, it's good to do those things. It's good to try. It's good to keep doing it. But at the end of all that, you will still find that you are not at your happiest. You're not at your fittest. You're not at the most um, fashionable state that you desire to be. Because all striving, all of it has limitations. He says in this, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Next time you look at a flower, consider that it does nothing to look as beautiful as it does. They just stay, they just are, and their creator nurtures them. So whatever you're striving for, fitness, health, that perfect house, the most beautiful career, the best Instagram profile, whatever it is that you have been striving for, will you take your hands off and say, Lord, I've been striving. I know I have. I've been spinning in circles. I've been laboring. And it's been the cause of a lot of worry. But here I am. I'm going to relax. I'm going to rest. Verses 29 to 30, it says, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. The fifth thing is that God already knows what we need. And for me personally, that's the most satisfying thing to know. If anything, in preparing for this sermon, all I got out of this was God already knows everything. He knows what I need. Yes, I need to ask. He asked me to ask. But the fact that he knows what I need already is comforting because there's so many things that I worry about without asking for. But the beauty of this whole situation is that he already knows. And so I want to ask you today, what is your response to this? Now, you know for a fact anxiety is no good for our mental health. It's not good for our physical health. Worry is detrimental to us. We find that we are so much more valuable than, than the birds, than the flowers. We find that we are really not in control. God is in control. We find that God already knows what we need. What must we do in response to this? How do we finally kick worry to the curb? How do we finally deal with it definitively? How do we do that? Verse 31, that's what it says. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. What things? The things concerning our body, 
the things that we treasure, the things that we love, all of those things will be added when our priorities are set straight. He's saying, seek his kingdom. So the way to actually counteract worry, surprisingly, is not a breathing technique. It's not only um, a meditative technique, but it's actually avidly seeking the kingdom of God. He says, you need to seek God and his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. And I believe that when we come to this, to seek God and his kingdom, what does it look like? It means that I need to get to know the king. When I know the king, when I know his heart, he starts to unravel the mysteries of the kingdom. He starts to show me what my position in the kingdom is. He burdens my heart with what burdens his. He starts showing me things about myself, about my family, about my city, about my people. He's revealing his heart. He starts to share his dreams with me. And this will only happen. This seeking of God. When you look at the word seek, seek his kingdom. The word seek is avidly look for. To look intently. To discover, to to really go deeper. That's what the word means. It's not a superficial kind of seeking. It's something that is a deep investigation. And the only way and only place that will happen is in the secret place of the Most High God. It is in His presence. Nowhere else. Nowhere else can we seek Him. Nowhere else can we seek His face. Nowhere else can we seek His kingdom except in the presence of God. And so the, the interesting thing you could, you know, that I realized when I was preparing this was we talk about a God who is with us. We talk about a God who is in us because of His Holy Spirit. So then you may ask me, then why should I get into His presence? Isn't His presence everywhere? True. It is. But I believe that we as followers of Jesus, we move from a place of following Jesus to loving Jesus when we become aware of his presence. His presence is everywhere. It's with us. Where we go, he comes. He lives in me. But the shift happens when I become aware of his presence. I'm reminded of the story that my dad once told me when I was growing up. It was a very beautiful illustration of, you know, the relationship of God with us. So there's a story of how this man took his little son and said, you know what, son, it's time. You're, you're, you know, on the cusp of manhood, I just have one rite of passage that I have for you. I'm taking you out. I'm going to blindfold you and leave you on, the st on a stump in the woods. And you're going to spend the night sitting on that stump blindfolded, trusting that you will be okay. And if you last the night, if you last the night, you would have officially become a man. I don't know, it feels a bit like harsh parenting, but this is what he did. He led the boy, sat him down on a stump, blindfolded him, and then he left. As the evening progressed into the night, it got darker and darker. There was the rustling of wind. The stump felt shaky at times because of the kind of um, wind that was blowing all around them. There were leaves being churned around. He could hear critters walking here and there. There was the growl of bears in the distance. The typical sounds of the night. But the boy just sat on that stump stoically saying, you know what, I will manage. I will make it through this. Because at the end of this, I will be called a man. At the end of this, I would have made my father proud. And so he sat on that stump and his father had told him before he left him that when the first light of dawn starts to come through the cloth, through the blindfold, through your eyes, you can remove your blindfold. 
So lo and behold, 5.45 or so in the morning, first light of dawn, as the sunlight hit his blindfold, he takes the blindfold off. And would you believe it? On the stump beside him sat his father. He had never left him. His father hadn't actually walked back home. His father had sat with him through the night. Had this boy, you know, in an extension to the story, had this boy just reached out and touched the stump beside him, he would have actually felt his father. And sometimes we feel like we're going through life alone. We feel like the storms that are hitting us have left us all alone. We feel like the struggle we're going through is ours exclusively. And we've been unaware of the presence of God. And today I want to bring us back to this place of saying that to effectively address worry in our lives, to effectively vanquish it on a repeated, regular basis, we need to become aware of the presence of God. He's all around you. He's everywhere. He's in you. But are you aware of his presence? Sometimes it just requires us to sit still and look up and experience him. So the beautiful thing about the presence of God is that it will refocus your eyes, it will reposition your heart, and it will renew your mind like nothing else can. When you sit in the presence of God, when you experience it and are aware of it, it will open your heart to the comforting touch of the Holy Spirit. Because until then, when we are worried, we are anxious, all our senses are heightened. We are we are literally, we cannot feel the comfort of God. But when we still ourselves in the presence of God, comfort is real. It reveals also in those quiet moments of his presence where our real treasure is. A lot of times, our jobs, our families, all good things are our real treasure. But is experiencing the presence of God our greatest treasure? Is hearing from God every single day, our greatest treasure. It reveals that. His presence is glorious. His presence is powerful. His presence is calming. His presence is enough. So today, if you're saying, sitting here and saying, I want a clear to-do list of how I can beat worry. Here's the thing. I don't have a to-do list. But I can tell you that this, that his presence is adequate to soothe your greatest worries. But what does it mean when I say I'm getting into the presence of God? What does it require of me? I'm just going to leave two things with you, okay, which will target our area of worry. I can tell you this, that I struggled with worry for the longest time. And it's only in the past six months or so that I've had had to learn the hard way of letting go of worry. And so whatever I teach you today is actually something that I've practiced and I know it works, okay? The first way in which we can actually experience the presence of God in a very powerful way is when we convert our worries to prayers. Max Lucado says this, no one can pray and worry at the same time. I guess it's just not possible. No one can pray and worry at the same time. Every morning before the kids leave for school, they pray with me. And um, I'll know exactly what's on their heart for that day based on the prayer that they pray. So my one of my sons would usually say something to the effect of, Lord, I just pray that there will be no surprise test today. Or he could sometimes surprise me and say, Lord, I pray for that Hindi test that I didn't study for. Help me. So when you pray, you're actually converting a worry to a prayer. They're exemplifying it. You see what I'm saying? It is okay 
to convert your worries into prayers. Why do I say it's okay? Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 to 7 in the message translation says this, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry. Our aim today is to displace worry by placing God in his rightful place and that happens when we convert every worry everything that's causing us to fret into a prayer. Jesus said in Mark 11 verse 24 whatever you things you ask when you pray believe that you receive them and you will have them. So when you pray you're converting the worry into a prayer believe that God is doing the job of working on that request. Believe it. Ask with boldness. As you actually spend time in God's presence, as you rest in his presence, as you're converting your worries into prayers, you will find that the Holy Spirit will begin to direct your prayers. He will tell you what to ask for. He will help you shape certain prayers into thy will be done kind of prayers. He will enable you to ask boldly when you come to the throne of grace. Sometimes we're so ashamed to ask for something. He says it's okay ask. What will you lose? He will enable you to pray with confidence. because that's what his word says and as you pray you will find that the lord starts giving you direction about so many things related to his kingdom you will find like i said your life is actually this this little dot and there's so much that's happening around you where god is working and you have a peace about co- coming to him with those worries you find that as i'm worrying about this lord you're doing something bigger god makes you privy to what he's doing in the kingdom and that's the beautiful beautiful thing about converting every worry into a prayer when you pray like this when you say this is what i'm worried about lord i commit it into your hands lord may your will be done in this because i'm trying to exercise my will in this but may your will be done when i start praying these prayers it's such a beautiful position of surrender and you will receive joy and peace in exchange i guarantee you that that when you convert every worry into a prayer what you get in response is joy and peace so that's the first thing how do i actually enjoy the presence of god how do i actually seek his kingdom in his presence the first thing is converting our worries into prayers and the second thing and i believe the most important thing is converting noise into solitude psalm 37 verse 7 says be still in the presence of the lord and wait patiently for him to act Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. A lot of the things that we worry about could be legitimate concerns. Some of it could be completely irrational, but by and large the things we worry about are things that concern us, things that hurt us, things that affect us. And while it's completely understandable to do so, he says don't fret. Be still in the presence of God. And a lot of times when we are anxious about something, when we are worried our mind feels crowded we have so much content in our brain we feel like there are 2 million conversations running simultaneously we have you know flashback recordings of things we feel like we are overcrowded in our head 
And the beautiful thing of converting noise into solitude is it's in that moment when we convert the noise into solitude that the presence of God is real all of a sudden. Until then, we know he's with us. But when we become aware of it, noise will change to solitude. Jesus himself, look at Jesus when he lived on earth, when he ministered for those three years, many times took time away. For someone who had just three years of active ministry, why would he take time off to get away from the crowds? But he did because he needed it. How much more do we need solitude? When I talk about solitude, I'm not talking about isolation. We need each other. We need each other so much. Solitude is finding the time, making the time to get quiet before God. That's what solitude looks like. If Jesus needed to replenish himself when in those alone times with his father, when he needed to restore his soul, if he needed it, we needed so much more. C.S. Lewis writes this, that we live in a world starved for solitude, silence and private. I'm just going to extend that to our modern scenario. C.S. Lewis obviously knew what he was talking about. Solitude, silence and private. Nothing is private anymore. People put everything up on social media, at least things that don't have to be said sometimes are put up on social media. What if you take those things and bring it into the, into the high place, into the quietness of God's presence? What if you lay it bare before him there? Like we write in Facebook sometimes, feeling emotional, feeling excited, feeling sad. What if I go to God and say, Lord, I'm so worried Look at this. Look at my bank balance. Lord, look at this text my spouse sent me. Look at this evidence of what my child is doing. I'm so worried, Lord. What if I chose to go for solitude, silence and private? We hear this term many times of radio silence where you don't hear from someone for a very long time. In recent times, it's called ghosting. You text someone, they don't get back to you, you know you've done something to bug them. Unfortunately, we don't do this radio silence, you know, the, the technique of quietening down with God. You know why? Because I think we're afraid that he'll actually speak something to us that will convict us or push us in a certain direction. So we avoid those quiet times. But can I ask that you will choose quietness, that you would choose solitude. A.W. Tozer wrote this beautiful book, and I just want to read an excerpt from it, which I want you to make it your own. Okay, so how you do that is he's given us very simple ways in which we can practice solitude in our everyday lives. So as I read it, I want you to see where you can apply this to you, yourself. Okay, retire from the world each day to some private spot, even if it be only the bedroom. Stay in the secret place till the surrounding noises begin to fade out of your heart and a sense of God's presence envelops you. Listen for the inward voice till you learn to recognize it. Stop trying to compete with others. Give yourself to God and then be what and who you are without regard to what others think. Read less but more of what is important to your inner life. Never let your mind remain scattered for very long. Call home your roving thoughts. Gaze on Christ with the eyes of your soul. Practice spiritual concentration. All the above is contingent upon a right relation to God through Christ 
and daily meditation on the scriptures. Lacking these, nothing will help us. Granted these, the discipline recommended will go far to neutralize the evil effects of externalism to make us acquainted with God and our own souls. Externalism, one of the primary reasons for us being so anxious, for being so worried. Things around us, the pressures around us, the struggles around us. If we don't retreat to the solitary, if we don't really retreat to the quiet place of God's presence, our thoughts will overrun us. Our worries will just make us into nothing. It is in solitude that you become acutely aware of God's presence. To choose solitude, you must constantly and consciously make room for it in your schedule. It doesn't just happen. You must disconnect from technology when you want to retreat into solitude. You must venture into being alone with God. You need to get used to being silent with him. Now, here's one hack that I found. You know what we looked at before that he already knows everything. So you can confidently sit in his presence without speaking because he already knows what we need. He already knows what we are going through. He already knows a word on my tongue before I say it. That's what his word says. So I can confidently sit with him and say nothing. Some days, okay, this is from experience. Some days he may not speak. He may just envelop you with his loving arms. You can just feel his presence in that room or that garden or wherever you're at. Some days he will remind you of someone you should connect with or someone you should forgive. Some days he will just allow you to cry and vent your feelings out. Some days he could just give you a phrase, a phrase of encouragement. No matter what your time of solitude looks like, each time of solace, each time of silence will leave you more refreshed, more alive and less worried than before. That's the beauty of God's presence. And you know, we're living in times when we all plan getaways. We say, oh, you know, we need a getaway. We need to go somewhere, you know, get a break and come back. But can I ask you this? Will you plan a getaway with Jesus as avidly as you're planning your next getaway? Will you plan a getaway every single day with him? For those of us who struggle with anxiety and worry, we may need to do that more times in a week. You might need to do it every single day. But get into a discipline of solitude. If you're someone who works in a very busy schedule, you're, you're an executive or you're running a business, you really don't have time. What if you partitioned 15 minutes a day? Put a timer on your phone, switch off your phone. 15 minutes, just quieten down everything and become acutely aware of the presence of God. If you just sit and allow him to bring your mind to rest. As I was just, you know, preparing this sermon, I just remembered Psalm 91. And it's um, a psalm that all of us have learned when we were children. And then, you know, when we have kids, we teach them Psalm 91. But I think the crux of Psalm 91 is found in verse 1, which says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And the 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 clue to the entire psalm, to actually, you know, activating the protection that the psalm offers us is when we dwell in the presence of God. It's not for those who dip into the presence of God. It's not for those who know about the presence of God. It's for those who dwell, who stay, who abide in the presence of God. Then the protection that, you know, the psalmist talks about actually has effect. It actually takes, lays hold of us. 
Psalm 91 verses 14 to 15. As I close, I want to leave this with you as a prayer. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you loved me, delighted in me and have been loyal to my name, I will greatly protect you. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray and you will feel my presence in your time of trouble. I will deliver you and bring you honor. Let me repeat that line. He will answer your cry for help every time you will pray and you will feel his presence in your time of trouble. He will deliver you and bring you honor. That is my prayer for you today. That every time you pray, you will experience God. That as you convert worries into prayers, he will shape those prayers. He will show you the kingdom secrets. He will show you his will for you, for your family, for your loved ones, for your city. He will grow that vision. That as you seek him and his kingdom, everything else will be added to you. As I close, I want you to remember this, that your life is way bigger than you can see right now. You may look at it as saying, I need relief in this area. I need a breakthrough in this area. But your life is so much more than that. So allow God that in his presence, he will shift your perspective. He will enlarge your vision. You are of great value to God, more so than the birds and the flowers of the field. He loves you so infinitely. So the details of your life matter to him as much as the larger, the greater things. He cares about everything. You are really not in control of everything in your life. He is. We are not privy to how the rain falls on the earth or how the sun rises or sets. And so we can trust God with the details of our lives because he is in control of everything. All of our anxious striving, all of our labor, all of our spinning, all of our toiling has limits. God is limitless. He's boundless. He's almighty. He's sovereign. So you can choose to trust him confidently. So even as we pray, I want us to close our eyes and ask God that he would make us so aware of his presence, that he will help us to just so quickly tune out the noises of the world we live in and enter that place of solitude, that he will make it a habit for us to turn every worry into a prayer. It will come naturally to us. Holy Spirit, we just ask that as each of us tune out of the world every single day, as we make a choice, that you would help us guard that time. I pray that your people will choose to sit before you in silence, that they will enjoy times of quiet with you. I pray that, Lord, as they rest in your presence, worries will dissipate. Anxiety will be gone. We thank you that your presence is constant. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning, which means that, Lord, every single day when we come into your presence, when we become aware of your presence, you are there waiting to meet with us. And we will not leave disappointed. We know that. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for caring so deeply about us, for caring for our emotions, for caring for our health on every level. We thank you that you are here to preserve us, to protect us, to redeem us. And so we entrust ourselves to you, spirit, soul and body. We entrust ourselves to you that you will do a new work within us. I pray for anyone who has been struggling with panic attacks, Lord. I pray that they will rest in your presence. I pray that, Lord, from today they will make it a discipline to sit in your presence. 
I pray, O Father, for those who have been worried about things legitimately that are terribly hard in their lives. Lord, I pray that in your presence, they will have closure. In your presence, they will have healing. In your presence, they will find answers that no man can give them, Lord. I pray they will leave your presence strengthened in faith, resilient on every level. We thank you that, Lord, you love us in spite of what we feel. You love us, Lord, through what we feel. We thank you that you use everything for your glory. We commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Like I said, if you are someone who worries or is anxious, it doesn't make you any less of a Christian. It makes you human. And God meets us right where we are at. He meets us. He loves us through it. He carries us through it and he helps us displace worry and play. And it, it helps when we displace worry and place him at the center. So through this weekend, I encourage you that you would displace worry consciously by choosing solitude and changing every worry to prayer. God bless you. Have a lovely week. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus finds life.